Now, if you would, you can turn in your Bibles to James 1. What you're going to find different a little bit this Sunday is that Rob always puts the Scripture verses up on the screen, which I did not do uh, this Sunday for you. So I hope you have a Bible or an app on your phone or whatever, and that uh, you can follow along in the uh, first chapter of the book of James. Uh, as you can tell, I've got four Sundays in August uh, to walk through five chapters with you. So this is going to be an what we call an overview, not an in-depth study. If ever a book really warrants an in-depth study, it's the book of James. Uh, but I've had this book on my heart really for eight months, ever since the turn of the year, and I felt this is where the Lord would uh, uh, have us go. So I hope this overview just motivates you uh, to get on your own, there's a lot of tools out there, and to study the book a little bit more in depth. Uh, James himself maybe probably is the earliest book written in the New Testament. And if you like uh, kind of years to go by, it's probably about 15 years after the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ. So it would just be like us looking back to about 2006. So it's fresh on the mind. Uh, it's very recent history. And so we pick it up in James 1.1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Now, as soon as you look at those verses, you see a few things about James. Number one, you see that the author of the book is a man by the name of James. There are five different people called James, three that we know a little bit more about. There is James the Less. He's an apostle. We don't know much about him at all. That's all we know. Uh, there's another James uh, who is the half-brother of our Lord Jesus Christ, and he came to faith in Christ after the resurrection. And then later on, he became the leader, the bishop of the Church of Jerusalem. For over 50 years, I believe that it was that James, half-brother of our Lord, that actually wrote this book. But in my study of the last eight months, I've changed my mind to a third James. He's the Apostle James. Uh, he is the brother of the Apostle John. And John and James are referred to in the New Testament as the uh, sons of Zebedee. Now, we know to whom he's writing. He tells us he's writing to the 12 tribes in the dispersion. So the 12 tribes, he's writing to Jews. But in particular, he's writing to Jews who have been expelled out of their country, out of the land of Israel because of persecution. <clears throat> so they're throughout the Roman Empire, and they're going through just a very hard time in life. Just like maybe some of you today, you come with a heavy burden on the heart. When you think of these 12 tribes, they were rejected by their countrymen, the fellow Jews. Why were they rejected? Simply because they had placed their faith and belief that Jesus was the Messiah, the King of Israel the fulfillment of all the Old Testament prophecies. So the Jews then saw that as blasphemy, and they persecuted them. Therefore, they were kicked out of the land of Israel. But because they were Jews, among the Gentiles, they were also rejected. Why? Well, it's anti-Semitism. Because they had Jewish blood coursing through their veins, then the Gentiles treated them uh, very harshly as well. They were people without a country. 
There were people that didn't belong anywhere, and they were rejected just by everyone around them. They had a very hard life. Now, the book of James is about the subject of true biblical faith. Now, I'm kind of boring, and if I were to give a title to this series, it would have been Genuine Faith. It would have been authentic faith, real faith, but like I said, I'm boring. So I went to someone that's not boring, Pastor Rob. I said, Rob, what do you think? I'm going to do James. You got a title? So he comes back about 10 seconds later. He says, how about sticky faith? And I thought, yeah, I thought of that too. So uh, we're, <laughs> I, I agree. Sticky faith, that's going, to be, uh, that's going to be what it is. And so when you think of sticky faith, I want you to, you know, just as you look at the word itself, it means something that's sticking to you like glue. So regardless of where you're going in life, whether it's through trials or temptation or anything in life, whatever you're going through, it's a faith that sticks to you. So you're not a fine-weathered friend. You're, you're a person that is abiding and has this sticky faith. No matter what happens, no matter what comes your way, uh, you believe that God is with you and God has a plan and a purpose in this to you. Now, I said that James is writing for one purpose, and it's really to test your faith. And I want you to think back when you were in school. Some of you, that won't be too long ago. Others of you, uh, it may be ancient history. But anyway, you go back to school, and in any class, we had tests. We had exams. What did the exams do? Number one, they revealed your weaknesses. You blew it. You didn't study. You didn't prepare. You come out of the exam, you failed it. On the other hand, you got an A+. What's that say? Man, you did well. Okay? You studied. You prepared. And you pass the test. Now, that's what's going to happen to you this, this uh, next four weeks. James is going to give you a test. And he's going to say, uh, do you really have authentic faith? The first thing he's going to ask is this. Are you sure you are in the faith? Are you sure you have been born again? Anyone can mouth the words, sing the hymns, uh, go through the motions. Are you sure that if, when God looks down at your heart, he says, you've been born again. You've passed from death unto life. Number two, he's going to ask this question. You say, yep, uh, I know that. I've passed that. I know when I was born again, I'm, I've truly trusted Christ. Okay, now his next question is this. As a Christian, are you walking by faith? Remember, Paul wrote this. When he talked about the gospel, he said, therein is the righteousness of God revealed, what? From faith to faith. The just shall live by faith. So the kernel of faith that brings us to faith is to believe in the Lord. It's just the beginning. And then through the rest of our life on earth, we're to be people who live by faith. James is going to say, I'm going to put some tests to you. Now you decide, you examine your heart, let the, the Spirit of God examine your heart to see whether you're really having genuine faith or not. So that's the one idea. The main idea is testing your faith. Now, I like to kind of think through a book in an outline sort of frame. So we're going to look at the outline, and you're going to see what it is up on the screen. In chapter 1, and I've kind of used the little words alliteration that might help, the man of faith, the person of faith, he exhibits patience in the midst of trials. So when you go through a heavy time, a trial, a testing comes your way, that man of faith, he exhibits patience in the midst of it. In chapter 2, he's a person who practices the truth. In chapter 3, he has power uh, and, and control over the tongue. In chapter 4, this is the person who now is having a life that is demonstrated by peace in the midst of turmoil all around him. 
So the world's in chaos, everything's around you in chaos, but you've got a deep-seated peace in your heart. And then in chapter 5, the man of faith prays in the times of trouble. So that's going to be kind of what we're going to be thinking of. And then we're going to get more specific because I've only got four Sundays. So I've got to take all these tests and trials, which of, some say 15, some as many as 17 trials, and I'm going to condense them down into four Sundays. So chapter 1, here's what we're going to look at. We're going to look at the test of life as it relates to yourself. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. The test related to yourself. Then next week, Lord willing, test as it relates how I respond to other people around me. In chapters 3 and 4, that's the big challenge, two chapters instead of one, we're going to talk about the man of faith, how he faces the issues of life. And there's four of them. And then the last Sunday, we're going to look at the, the, the man of faith, how it relates to his philosophy of life. And that's, that one's a, a, a probing one because it's, it's going to examine what makes you tick. What turns you on in life? Where is your passion, as they say today, uh, in your walk uh, in life? Okay, let's look back at chapter 1 now. We're going to take the first test. And I, I, the question simply you ask and you're praying in your heart, Lord, Holy Spirit of God, uh, put me to the test. Reveal to me those things that I need to hear from you. Now, there's going to be three areas we're going to look at chapter 1. Uh, fasten your seatbelts. We've really got to uh, hang on and run this morning, okay? So here's the three tests. How do you relate to, A, the trials of life? B, how do you relate to the temptations of life? C, how do you relate to the truth of God? So how do you relate to trials, temptations, and then uh, the truth, and the truth, of course, is God's word. So look first all of our faith walk in regard to trials uh, in verses 1 to 12, and we see, first of all, what our attitude should be if we're going to pass the test, and it should be joy. So he says in verse 2, and I'm reading from the ESV, <clears throat> count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. So a trial, now, when you think about it, he says, count it joy when you enter into trials. What's a trial? A trial is an unexpected thing that comes into your life that you do not, humanly speaking, want to come into your life. You got it? So a trial is something that comes into your life, but the natural human tendency is to reject it. That's why the, the living Bible, when it was had a paraphrase years ago, it says, don't resist trials as intruders into your life, but welcome them as friends into your life. Now think about the last time you had a heavy trial. Did you welcome it as a friend? Did you count it all joy? It's antithetical to how we normally respond, and yet this is the spiritual, this is the man of God, and how he's, how he's going to respond. So how will you respond? So you get a call in the middle of the night. Your son just got arrested. He was doing drugs. You get another call. It's the daughter that's been in an automobile accident. Or the daughter comes home and says, Mom, I'm pregnant. And she's not married. You lose your job. The wife's got malignant cancer. The man, the father, he's got a heart blockage. Somebody just died. Somebody you love very dearly. And it goes on and on and on. And the question, now listen, it's very size and very kind. Sometimes they're little, sometimes they're huge. 
That's why James says various kinds of trials. Little ones, big ones. And he says, when you come into those things, how are you going to respond? Here's how I've seen some people respond, Christians. I've seen some of them swear, curse God. I've seen some go out and get drunk. I've seen somebody kick the dog or just blurt out anger. Somebody goes to bed and just goes in a catatonic state of depression. Don't want to face the trial because it's just too heavy on them. And on and on it goes. And James says, count it all joy. In other words, thank God for the hard time. That's going to be totally contrary to what you're thinking, humanly speaking. He says, count it all joy. So you can give thanks to God for the trial. I didn't say you can be thankful for it. I said you can give thanks. There's a difference. When I say being thankful, that's an act of the emotions. And when that trial hits you head on, you're emotionally not responding, oh, I'm so thankful for this. But with an act of the will, I can give thanks. Lord, I don't know it. I don't want it. I resist it. I wish it weren't there. But I trust you. Count it all joy when you fall into any various kinds. Why does he say that? Because every shape of every trial and testing that comes to my way has a, a same texture, shape of the grace of God that helps meet the need that that trial presents to me. So that I know by faith. Remember we're talking about a man walking by faith. I know the man of, the man of faith is saying, God knows all about this and he's at work in my life. Corey Ten Boom, we all know about her, most of us do, I'm sure, a great follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, and uh, she survived the German concentration camp back uh, uh, in the 1940s, and her sister uh, in the, was in the same concentration camp in Germany. She was abused, she was beaten, and then she was finally murdered, and Corey Ten Boom's watching her sister go through this, and then Corey Ten Boom uh, lived through it. Uh, most of you know, I've seen the book, uh, re, uh, the movie, read the book, The Hiding Place. She said this, when a train goes through a tunnel and it gets dark, you don't throw away the ticket and jump off. You sit still and what? Trust the engineer, right? Isn't that what you do? Plane goes through a little bit of turmoil out there. Don't you love that turmoil when the plane's shaking back, forth, left, and right? You just love that and there's thunder and everything. Listen, what do you do? You trust the pilot. That's a good thing to do. The only thing is... Pilots aren't perfect. But listen, when you're... <laughs> no offense, Dean. No offense there, son. Uh, but here's the point. When we go through the dark times of life, God is perfect. No mistakes. There's a, he knows everything. And behind all the knowledge and the plan and the purpose and the sovereignty, there is the loving heart of God that is behind it all. Olga, you expressed it greatly in your prayer. It's so true. And that's why I can count it all joy, because joy, now no, he didn't say you're going to be happy. Uh, happiness, don't even, God doesn't care if you're happy. Okay, can I just put it to you? God could care less whether you're happy or not. He does care whether you're holy or not, right? 
And he will give you what? Joy. What is joy? Happiness is dependent upon circumstances. And then when the circumstances go south, you're not happy. Joy is a result of being filled with the Holy Spirit and trusting in God. And so as I look to the Lord, and he's the Lord of my life, and I say, I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, then what happens? The fruit of the Spirit. What's the fruit of the Spirit? And the fruit of the Spirit is love. What's the next one? Joy, peace, long-suffering, etc. And so all of this comes from the Lord because he's the chief engineer. He knows what's going on even when it's so very, very dark out. Number two, let me say a second thing about it. If you're going to learn to trust God and you're going to get the result of what God wants, growth depends on doing it God's way. Growth depends on doing it God's way. Notice it says, let steadfastness have its full effect. You know what we used to do? Like the woman that went to see the pastor, and she went to the pastor, and she was going through all types of suffering. and trials. She says, when am I going to get out of all these troubles? And the pastor was wise. He was loving. He was a good shepherd. And he looked at him and he said, dear sister, he says, you're asking the wrong question. It's, it's not when am I going to get out of it. It's what am I going to get out of it. That's the question. I, what do we do? We want a shortcut. We want out of the situation. We don't like this trial. And the Lord is telling us, growth depends on doing it God's way. Let the trial have its complete work in you. Let steadfastness have its full effect. So what do we do? We get a trial and we ask when and we ask why. And God says, none of your business why right now. And when, that's none of your business either. What we ought to be asking is who and what. Who's behind the trial? The chief engineer. The God who loves you. The God who has a plan for your life. Did you know I can tell every one of you who know Christ is your Savior? I can tell you God's purpose and plan for your life. Now, aren't I smart? I mean, aren't you glad I'm speaking today, you know, because I'm so brilliant? Let me tell you what God's purpose and plan is for your life. Same plan for my life. It's that you be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. That's God's purpose. Now, we've got different callings, different gifts. We know all that, different things that God puts on our heart to do. But I'm saying, generally speaking, it's the same purpose that we might be conformed to the image. What's it look like? It looks like love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, self-control, against such there's no law. That's what it looks like, okay? And, and that's what God's doing in my life. And in order for it to be done, I've got to let God have the Mature work taking place in us because I want a quick fix, instant gratification doesn't work that way. Number three, what do I do then? When I'm in the midst of that, and I and I'll say, okay, by faith, Lord, I'm counting it all joy. I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna say thank you for this by faith because I know you're the one in control. And I'm Lord, I'm gonna let it growth to do it God's way. But dear God, I need some wisdom. I need wisdom. So that's why he says in verse five. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, what? Who giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, but let him ask in faith nothing wavering. Do you know what we just read there? Did you see that God is generous? He will, he will give. He will not reprimand you for asking. And, and, and the third thing is God is going to give you wisdom. It will be given him. So now I'm in the midst of this. I don't like it. I wish it didn't come, but it's here. I know you're at work in my life. I count it all joy. I want it to have its perfect work. Is it a day? Is it a week? Is it a month? Is it my lifetime? I don't know. 
But Lord, I'm going to need wisdom to respond to you. Let's go to something we're all familiar with. We believe in the sun even when it's hidden by the clouds, right? We know the sun is still there. It's still shining. So I believe and you believe in God when he's hidden from your view and he's silent. When darkness hides his lovely face, I rest on his unchanging grace. On Christ, the solid rock I stand, all other ground is steeping sand. I've been thinking through this whole thing experientially, and I think it's true that as I look at my life, and I think it's going to be true in your life, that the Christian experience runs through three different levels uh, as I look at my own life. Number one, there are those high days. We love the high days. Linda Randall said it's when you're up on the mountaintop. Life is good. And God is there, and boy, his presence is so real. And you even catch a little glimpse of the glory of God, the sum attribute of all his graces and attributes. And you catch a glimpse of that, and life is just plain good. I don't know about you, I'd like to say, and my life has been characterized by the mountaintop living. And boy, would I be a liar. I think I could count on a hand or two the number of really mountaintop experiences in all my life. So don't count on a whole bunch of mountaintop experiences. God knows when you're going to need him and he may give it to you. But it is an experience and it's a wonderful one. Then there's the ordinary days, right? The ordinary days of life, I don't know how else to put it. it sounds negative and I don't mean it, but we just grind it out. You know, I think you housewives, you moms, little kids. I mean, good grief. We just had a week with our family at home, five years old and 10 and 13. And, you know, boys and they're flipping each other's ears and just causing problems. And moms just grind it out. Then they got to cook the meal. Then get them ready for bed. Get them bathed. Stop the fighting. Get them, I mean, on. and it, It's grinding. And you say it sounds depressing. It is depressing. And it's hard. I, I love to interact with waitresses in restaurants. And I, I took my youngest grandson out for breakfast. We start that when they get to be five. I'm not taking a four-year-old out for breakfast, <laughs> trust me. Sometimes regret the fun. We'll, we'll go. Anyway, the five-year-old and I went out for breakfast. And so we had this waitress. And you know, uh, sometimes you just sense, boy, she just seems like she's under a burden. And um, so you want to be careful what you say. But I finally asked, I said, are you doing okay? And she didn't answer right away. I said, I mean, are you really doing okay? And uh, I forget the exact answer she gave, but it was like this. Yeah, I'm doing okay, but you know, life is just so daily. Isn't that the truth? Life is just so doggone daily. Up, same routine, same grinding it out, trying to be faithful to the Lord, trying to live for the Lord. And sometimes life is just like that. Now there's a third dimension, not the mountaintop and, and just being faithful, 
doing what you ought to do, what God calls you to do. But the third dimension is one we better recognize and be ready uh, for it. Because there are chapters in our book of life when life makes no sense. Ever had them? Things happen and you wonder, what in the world is that all about? It just doesn't make sense. The enemy comes in like a flood. The powers of darkness make mockery of our faith. Doubts and fears assail the soul. The books fail us. The tapes fail us. God just doesn't seem to care. He's silent. He's not speaking. The heavens are as brass. And life is just living almost like it's in the silence of God. And as I was preparing this message, the Lord brought to my mind the story of the Canaanite woman up there in Tyre and Sidon, which was a demon-possessed area. And remember, she came to Jesus. She says, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. Boy, what a, where did she get that? In that contact, where did she get, she recognized son of David. She recognized, O Lord, she my daughter is severely possessed by a demon. Now let that sink in for a minute. My daughter is demon-possessed. Do you see her? Tormented, curling up, a loud voice coming out, blaspheming God, cursing her parents, foaming at the mouth. Live with that every day. Oh, son of David, oh, Lord, have mercy on me. Matthew writes these words. But he did not answer her one word. Let that sink in. You say, is that Jesus? Yeah, that's Jesus. He didn't answer her a word. Why? Were her prayers no good? Probably not a better prayer in the Bible. Did she not recognize her need? Oh, she's crying out. She recognized her need. Did she have no faith? Jesus says she had such a high degree of faith that he said, Oh, woman, great is your faith. And although that kind of faith oftentimes brings immediate peace and joy, it does not always bring it what? instantaneously because we got to let God have his perfect work silence from the Lord it doesn't get too much more painful right you've been there if you haven't you'll you'll get there but then the thing that just stirred my own soul was when it says he didn't answer her a word, then she comes out with this request. And uh, the Lord answers her request because even the dogs get the crumbs from the table. It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Now that's what Jesus said. You know what's amazing is the faith of this woman, we can't get to another sermon all in itself, but she understood exactly what Jesus was saying. She didn't argue with it. But what did she say? She says, yes, Lord, 
But even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Jesus said, O woman, great is your faith. It's an incredible story. But the time when you have the silence of God, you're praying, you're seeking God with everything in you, and the heavens are as brass. That's the time we just need to let the Spirit of God do his work and let that trial have its completed work because God's at work in us. Now, why do we counter all joy? Why even at a time like that do I... Why am I... Why does Job say, though he slay me, I will trust him? Because we realize, point D, every test is designed to bless us. That's why. Every test is designed to bless us. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under the trials, for when he has stood the test of time, he shall receive the crown of life. What is the crown of life? I don't know. I think what it is is something related to the future at the judgment seat of Christ, when it is one of the five crowns mentioned in the New Testament. And when the Lord looks at you and you have endured the hard times of life, you've stayed the test, You've allowed the Lord to work in your heart and life. Then he gives you the crown of life. But I also think it's something I can appropriate today. There is a technical term in the Greek language that I won't bore you with. But it can, make this, it can have this verse say that you will receive the crown which is life. And I like that. I like it because it's something for the now and not just the future. I think it's related to what Jesus says when he said, I am come that you might have life and what? That you might have it more abundantly. Not just life, but that you might have it more abundantly. And as you stay the time and persevere through the trials, God will just overshadow you. And you'll be walking in the fullness of his joy with the crown of the abundant life. It's a badge of honor. So learn patience and faith during trials. How are we doing so far with the test? How do you respond to that trial? Look back over the week, the month, whatever. How do you, have you responded? Now let's move on to the second. And we're going to move a little more quickly here. So fasten your seatbelts. Number two, our faith walk in regards to temptations. So we're now we're moving from testing 1 to 12 to temptation 13 to 20. Do you remember a few years ago seeing the picture, seeing it on TV, magazines, where the young lady looks so innocent, she walks up to the police station in Baghdad, and she says, I forgot my wallet. I was here yesterday, I forgot my wallet. Can I go in and get my wallet? And the police officer kind of sensed there was something wrong here and he wouldn't allow her in. Then you remember she detonated the bomb she was wearing. She blew herself up, brought devastation to everyone around her. And you read something like that and you say, can you imagine living in a culture like that? Hang on to this phrase, Ready? You do. That's the culture you and I live in and move about. I don't care where we are geographically. Why do I say that? 
because of what we're going to see with this matter of temptations. Satan is the ultimate enemy. And he often comes garbed in a cute little dress and a cute young lady to try to get entrance into our lives to blow up our life and to cause havoc and death. How does it happen? One of the things I've learned, and I think, I, I think this is true, what I'm about to say to you, I think the key thought he's passed, uh, 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 giving us in this book and in chapter 1 is don't be deceived. Notice what he says in verse 16. Do not be deceived. Never saw these words repeated like this until I studied it the last eight months. Look down verse 22. Deceiving yourselves. Look down in verse 26. But he deceives his heart. What is James warning us about? He's warning us about our heart's deception. The other thing I learned is this. I learned of how much I talk to myself all the time. I learned that when James talks in James 3 about guarding the tongue, he's not just talking about slander or gossip. He's talking about the way you talk to yourself. And whether you know it or not, we talk to ourselves all the time. I didn't know how much I talked to myself until I started tracking it. And I'm not nuts. <laughs> Questionable. But not really nuts. But I find myself answering myself all the time, too. And you know what I find? I find that that's the means, the vehicle by which I deceive myself. That's what he's saying. Don't deceive yourself. How do you deceive yourself? You start giving room to the enemy. How do you start giving room to the enemy? You start questioning the word of God, the veracity of it. And is this really true? Should I, do I really? It's a different day. He's going to warn us. How does he do it? How do we deceive ourselves? I think James anticipates it. So I'm going to say it, then I think you'll see that James, James anticipated what he didn't say, but what I'm going to say. Number one, that it is ultimate, the fault, God's fault, that I fell into temptation. It's ultimately God's fault that I fell into temptation. So I think he anticipates that because it goes back to creation. And he says, let no one say, verse 13, when he is tempted, what? I am being tempted by God. No one should say that. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and God does not tempt anybody. So how do you differentiate a, a, a trial from a temptation? Did you know that the words trial and temptation all come from the same root Greek word, parasmus? It's the exact same word. But it can be translated trial or it can be translated temptation. So how do you know what a trial is? How do you know what a temptation? Let me make it simple because I'm a pretty simple man. A trial is something God brings to me that he wants me to do but I don't want to do. What's a temptation? It's something that originates within something I want to do but what? I shouldn't do. You got the difference? Now this last week I was in, introduced to Tullamook ice cream. It's to die for, right? <laughs> Pistachio especially, or the blueberry pie one. It's, it is so good. Telemook ice cream is a temptation. Lima beans are a test. Do you get it? <laughs> no one ought to ever serve anybody lima beans. They are not, they're not good for you. They're not good for anything. So lima beans are a test. Telemook ice cream that's what we call a temptation. 
But the thing I want to put for, we got all kinds of choices to make. But I'm the one who makes the choice. Remember Adam and Eve? We have a talk with them in the perfect setting. God gave him everything for joy. But when tempted, he failed miserably. And God went after him. You remember he was chasing him down like the hound of heaven? He says, Adam he says, yeah. He says, I sinned. Eve, how about you? Yep. She says, I sinned. And so then both of them said what? Well, God, it's really your fault that I sinned. Because if you would not have made that woman, I would not have fallen into sin. So God, it's your fault. You made my wife. Never made her, never be a problem. He goes to Eve and says, Eve, what about you? Well, I sinned. Why did you sin? Well, it was that slimy old snake that you made look beautiful. And you know, God, if you had never made that snake, I would never have submitted to the serpent. You see what they're doing? Playing the victim's game. I'm the victim. And God, it's really your fault. Solomon said it this way. When a man's folly brings his way to ruin, his heart rages against the Lord. Think of that one. When a man's folly brings his way to ruin, his heart rages, God, you made me do it. Mark it down. God never tempted you ever. He can't to do wrong. Number two, well, then if I want God, point B, the devil made me do it. Remember Flip Wilson? <laughs> I think we're going back there about 50 years or so. Hey, remember Geraldine? She's the one that started the whole problem, you know. She said, the devil made me buy the dress. And then after that, no matter what happened, the devil made me do it. That's where it came from. So if God didn't tempt me, then it must be the devil. Eve said, the serpent. It's all his fault. Now circle in your Bible these words. I've circled them in my mind. Each person, verses four, uh, 14, and by his own desires. In other words, remember the, little, the, the young girl going to the police station? She comes in all cute and everything. We push our own detonator. We're our own executor. One God wasn't the devil. The two verses have four participles which give us the process. This is the process of your and mine temptation. Look at it. Lured and enticed when it has conceived gives birth to sin and sin when it is fully grown brings forth death. It's about as ugly as it gets, isn't it? About as ugly as it gets. And I'm the one to blame. Now, let's move on to the next one then. How about C? Okay, it's not God. It's not his fault. Okay, wasn't the devil of my own sin nature. Now, I'm talking to myself, and as I talk to myself, I'm going to be self-deceived if I'm not careful. So I say, well... It's not really going to hurt me. It's not. Everybody's doing it. It's a different age. He says, do not be deceived. Desire leads to conception. It leads to a pregnancy. Pregnancy results in the birth. And we give birth to what? Death. Now, that doesn't mean I'm going to die physically. What is death? You can always in the Bible, when you see the word death, and there are three kinds, physical death, spiritual death, eternal death, but death is always separation. You will never find death that it's not separation. And in this case, it's spiritual death. It's spiritual separation. 
It's when Adam sinned and it says he lost the presence of the Lord. It's the next chapter when Cain kills Abel and he left the presence of the Lord. Sin always results in losing the presence of the Lord. Do you see that? And you think it's not going to hurt me? And it's not going to only hurt you. It's going to devastate those around you. No man lives to himself, no man dies to himself, and no man sins to himself. There are parents and grandparents that go to bed weeping because of the sins of their children and their grandchildren. And there's daughters and their sons who weep over a parents who haven't been men and women of faith. Why did I grow up in a home with dad leaving mom, mom walking out of dad? It's devastation. It's death. The last one, point D, Satan always seems to have the most fun. What are we talking about? We're talking about deception. We're talking about self-deception. God's fault? No, it's not God's fault. Satan's fault? No, not Satan's fault. No really big hurt, harm in doing it. Yes, there is. Satan always seems to have the most fun. Be not deceived, my beloved brothers, 16. Verse 17, notice how he corrects this. Every good gift and every perfect gift is where? From above, from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be kind of a first fruits of his creations. Ever notice Satan always seems to uh, offer so much to us? He's the one that manufactures the fun parties, right? I've heard a lot about fake news lately. Here's the truth. Satan's a liar and a schemer and a destroyer. And God is the one who intends the best for us. God gives us every good gift, every perfect gift. Everything I have that's good and wholesome and perfect comes ultimately from the Father in heaven. And Satan doesn't give me one good thing. He robs, he kills, and he destroys. And then did you ever notice after the first parent sinned and Satan did his work, did you ever notice that God is the one who is the hound of heaven that comes out seeking after Adam and Eve? Where are you? Why are you hiding? Why do you know you're naked now? God is the hound of heaven. He's seeking them out in love, grace, and mercy. Where's Satan? You don't find him anywhere. He's gone. Did what he had to do. That's what he says to you. So, just don't miss out on life, young people. Don't. This stuff's a little bit old-fashioned. Try this. Go out and get high. What's a little high? Come on. Little beard gonna kill you. Let's go just a little bit further. I mean, this virginity, that's stuff's for the Victorian age. Let's live together and kind of see if we're compatible with one another. And on and on it goes. God wants to give us preventative grace in order to preserve what? What is good, holy, and pure. You never feel good by being impure. It's never a good feeling to be unholy. It's never a good feeling afterwards to cave into temptation and sin. But man, the wholesome life lived by faith, filled with the Holy Spirit, 
What a great life that is, even in times of suffering. I should be done, so I will be done in just a few minutes. Third, our faith walk in regards to truth. Let me just read a few verses. If you have James 1, 21, Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word. There, put away, that's receive the implanted word. That's the Bible. Once implanted in your mind and heart, which is able to save your souls. You say, hey, I thought I got saved on June 15, 1998. Salvation is a process. You come to the point action of faith where you're born again and you pass from death into life, but that's the beginning. The just shall live by faith, and every step afterwards is supposed to be lived on. What is faith? Obedience to God. Doing what God tells you to do. Re- putting away all filthiness and receive. And verse 22, be doers of the word. The one who looks into the perfect law of liberty, the law of liberty and perseveres, he'll be blessed. Two thoughts to close with. Number one, God's word benefits those who need it. If you don't see you need it, then you don't care. But at least be honest. Don't be a hearer of the word. Everybody here has one thing in common. Everyone. What one thing we haven't got? We're all hearers of the word today. Some are going to walk out, though, what? They're going to be doers of the word. Which camp will you fall in? A hearer only or a hearer and then one who does it? That's the question. God wants to bless his people, but blessing is always connected with obedience. Number two, God's word benefits those who obey it. God's word benefits those who obey it. Uh, track with me just on four verses, would you? Remember now, being a hearer of the word leads to one thing only. If you're a hearer of the word, it leads to deception. You will deceive, you will talk yourself out of godliness and into uh, worldliness. But notice what he says. When a man looks into a mirror and and does nothing about it. Verse 22, don't be hearers only. Verse 23, don't be a hearer of the word and not a doer. Verse 24, he looks at himself and he goes away and at once he forgets. Verse 25, being no hearer who forgets. You see, the mirror is likened to God's word and it's a true reflection of who I am and who you are. Vance Havner said, as long as a woman looks into a mirror, you know she's okay. She's not sick and she's not dying. A woman looks in a mirror, she's like, why? A woman does something about it. A man looks into the mirror and he starts arguing with the mirror. A woman looks into it and says, man, do I need help? So she starts painting herself and lipstick, you know, all that stuff. You say, well, should a woman do that? Hey, if the barn needs painted, paint it, you know. So... But blessing comes into our lives when I let, let the Word of God sit in judgment on me and I say, that's who I am. I mean, that's who I am. Now, what am I going to do about it? Am I just going to be a hearer of the Word and see it reflect, or am I going to obey God? It comes right down. The choice is yours. The choice is mine. I'm done. Let's pray. Sticky faith as it regards to yourself. Trials, count it all joy. God's at work. Let it have its perfect work. Receive the crown of life. Temptation, don't deceive yourself. Look into God's mirror, see what you see, and then be a doer of the word. The truth, there it is again. Receive the engrafted word. You only do it if you think you need it and if you want it.
you're here today and you've never been born again, I urge you to trust in Christ as your Savior. Right as you sit there, just like that, bingo. Lord, the best way I know how, I trust you as my Savior. Forgive me my sins. God will save you right here. And that begins the process. The just shall live by faith. And that's where I want to be a man of faith, a woman of faith. I walk by faith. And God's going to give us tests to see how we're doing. So, Lord, dismiss us with your blessing uh, from your word. And as we pick it up next week, then as we uh, go from here, help us to not forget what your spirit said through your word to our hearts and lives. Help us to respond by being not only a hearer, but a doer of the word. And bless us now as we conclude this service and welcome in some new members and, and then go and be a faithful man and woman of God walking by faith in Jesus' name. Amen.